Glad you guys are here this morning. Again, happy Father's Day to dads out there. Excited that, I mean, how many of you guys would not be here without a dad? Same. <clears throat> happy Father's Day. But I, I will say this, being, being a dad literally is one of the, my most favorite joys in life. Um, I, I love, 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 love being a dad. And it, it is something so seriously amazing that, that God would trust me with human beings is just mind-blowing. Amen, Brad? I just saw you back there. I mean, I just... Literally blows my mind that, that God would say, hey, take care of these little souls. Because I, I just, it just blows my mind. Um, but it is, a, it is a heavy responsibility and it is a privilege and it is an honor that God has given us as men to be the, the leaders of our home and, and the, the God-fearing um, pastors of our home. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But, but man, I, I just need to say this. The world right now needs godly men. The world right now needs godly husbands. And, and the world today needs godly fathers. And, and, and to go with the vein of what we've been going through over the last several weeks of Christians should be different. Christian men should be different. We have a calling and a mandate from our Lord and Savior. And, and never let, I, I just let, like, hear me, never let the current cultural persuasions convince you that fathers are not important or not needed. Like we have a massive push by culture and a massive push by media to, to, to denigrate and lessen men. I, I want you guys to understand that I do not hold to that idea. I am very much of the idea that men are incredibly necessary to make the family complete. And here's the thing. God has a design. He designed it for a husband and a wife to be Father and mother, and that's the home. And what's the biggest assault on our world today? What's the biggest organization that is assaulted by the king or by by the enemy? The family. The family unit is under attack like never before. And so, never let culture convince you that fathers are not important or not needed because they are. And more than ever, we need men who are taking the kingdom mandate seriously. This idea of having dominion over everything is important. The idea of being um, the hands of our Lord Jesus in the places where we are. Being the hands and the feet. Leading, guiding, building, cultivating, teaching, loving, and influencing those that are around us as men. Um, so some of the guys that have been here on Sunday nights, we've been walking through shepherding our homes and shepherding our families well. And we've been talking out of Titus chapter 2. So some of the things that I'm going to say today, the guys that have been coming on Sunday night, they're just going to be a yes and an amen in me. So, all right, you guys ready for that? But go to Titus chapter 2. That's where we're going to be for a bulk of our time today. We're going to be in, in Titus chapter 2 because Titus, like they give us this mandate. He gives us this mandate in the text. And he 
talks about this. And if you, if you look at the first part of chapter 2 in verse 1, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So why does it say, but as for you? I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> because when you look at the text beforehand, um, it talks about men, talks about women, it talks about human beings who profess to know God. They say they know God, but they deny Him by their works. So, like, we live in a culture right now that says, man, I believe and I follow and I am a Christian. Like, we got so many people that say they believe in God and that they're a Christian, but according to Titus chapter 1, that first, or that last ending of, of chapter 1, it says, they, these people, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They they are deliberate, deliberate, I'm sorry, they are detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. So then we jump into chapter two. But as for you, you who are Christ's followers, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith and in love. And instead, fastness. Now, we're going to stop there for just a minute. But this idea, the first thing out of this text is that you who do belong to Christ, the first thing you need to be doing is teaching what accords with sound doctrine. The first thing out of the gates from this text is that Christian men should teach. Teach what? Teach what, is, what, what has sound doctrinal foundations. Teach what is sound in faith. What we believe about the Bible matters. What you and I believe about the Bible matters. What we teach about Jesus matters. What we say about the scriptures matter. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven says, uh, it says, tell, uh, it tells us have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths, but rather train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. Man, most of the men that, that are in the world today are neck deep in things that are silly. Neck deep in the things that are not eternal. Neck deep in things that truly do not matter. And in the church, there's, really, it's not, a, there's not much of a different, there's no difference. And I'm going to tell you that needs to change. We need to have a different mentality about the world in which we live. And we need godly men. We need godly husbands and we need godly fathers. It is vital, it is vital to, who, to our very being. It's vital to this church's existence for the next 50 years. Man, do we have a vision for this place for the next 50 years? Are you just saying, man, I'm just going to coast my time out here until I'm dead and I don't even really care after that. And what are you leaving for the next generation? Are you caring about this place for the next 50, 60, 70 years? Do you want to see godly truth preached out for another generation? Or is it just as long as I got a place to be for the next couple years of my life, I don't care after that. We should be investing in infrastructure to be able to invest eternally in our community. It just should. And along with teaching a sound doctrine, what else is needed? Now, let's, look, what's the text say in verse 2? Older men. Older men. I'm looking at older men in the room today. We need you. 
Like, I'm not going to be up here and just beat you because that's, like, that's not appropriate. Maybe, maybe at some point it might be. But man, I'm going to just say something. I need you. We need you. We need older men desperately in the church. Because if we just got a bunch of young bucks in here, man, this place is going to be on fire soon. I'm just going to tell you. It just will. It's like, you put a bunch of young guys in a room together. Does it go well? Tyler, does it go well if you put a bunch of young bucks together for a while? I see exactly. We've got to... Well, you are one of the older men, right? So, <laughs> But no, notice in context, with it, it's, what did the verse 1 say? Verse 1 talked about teaching with sound doctrine. So older men, this is what you're to be teaching. Look, teach what it looks like to be sober-minded, to be dignified, to be self-controlled, sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. We need to teach and have older men teach the following things. That first thing out of the gate, sober-minded. Older men are to exercise self-control and be men worthy of respect. Man, I know some older men, and then they're not worthy of respect because they do not carry themselves in a manner to be respected. They're, they're foolish. They, they pursue foolish things. They all, I, mean, I, I know 60, 70-year-old men who still think they're 30. Like that, that should, there's a time and a place, man. Think about this. Our world is looking right now. The world that we live in right now, younger men have zero self-control when it comes to chasing what they think they want, whether that's with sex, violence, greed, stealing, burning, uh, things to the ground. Young men have zero solid male role models. Most, most young men have zero role models that they look up to. And the ones that they do look up to are some ridiculous movie star or musician that has zero moral compass. And they're like, hey, that guy, you know, look at Snoop Dogg. I got, I, I, you know, that, that guy is an older fella and he's in his 50s. And a younger generation looking at him saying, he's the model. He's the model of what we should be living. So we got young men that are growing up seeing guys like that saying, this is what we should be following. No, that's not at all what we're supposed to be doing. We have young men who have zero solid role models. Older men, wiser men are to set an example of what it looks like to be a man. Older men are to be setting the example of what it looks like to be self-controlled, self-disciplined, self-starters. In every, every area of life, they're to show these things off. What it looks like to have and be a man of respect. Think of men who you've looked up to. Like, I just want you to just think. Men that are in the room that you have looked up to in your past that are older, wiser men that have been in business, whether they've been a pastor, whether they've been something of that nature. Think about someone that's older that you've looked up to and what if they found out that you were acting like a buffoon? How would they react? Like, I, I grew up in the day when anybody could whip you. I know that we live in the day like, oh, we don't want to spank little Johnny because we'll warp his sense of reality. Like, really? How's that working out for us? We're not doing well. Like anyone could whip me. 
Like at church, like we'd be, I'd be walking down the hallway at church and anybody, like if I, I misbehave, like they thump me on the top of the head and like, quit that out. Well, cut that out, boy. And if I went to my dad's like, Dad, Brother Sam hit me. He'd be like, you probably deserved it. <laughs> You'd probably deserve it. Now we've got parents that are like, oh, I don't want to hurt his little feelings. The world we live in, man. The world we live in. There, there was a day and a time if older men in my life found out that I had been acting foolishly, they would have come and dealt with me in a quick manner. They would have addressed it in a loving but stern way. Um, I, I'll never forget. Um, there was, uh, my father wasn't a parachute parent. He wasn't a dad that came in and swooped in and said, I can save you, fella. It's okay. It's all right. Your little feelings don't need, let me coddle you. Let me protect you. Let me, let me make sure you're okay. He wasn't a parachute parent. He didn't say, little Caleb would never do something like that. He, most of the time, believed the teacher, believed the other parent, and I was the liar. So, I mean, which 99.9% of the time, I, I was the liar. Um... <laughs> he would back godly discipline in my life. I'll never forget. There was a time I was in fifth grade. Um, I was at a roller skating rink for a fifth grade party. And this girl uh, decided that she wanted to put, uh, she went to the old DJ booth and said, hey, Caleb wants to dedicate a song to this girl that I really didn't like, but still it was, it was embarrassing. And I found out that she did it. And I went over in a fifth grade, young boy, anger, and I grabbed her and I literally throttled her by the throat. And I said, I can't believe you did that. You're such an idiot. Well, that young little girl went to that, her father and said, hey, daddy, Caleb did this. Well, guess what? Tony called my dad. It was 10 o'clock at night. Guess what my dad did? My dad loaded my rear end up in a truck and we drove down to Tony's house. And I'm standing outside Tony's house with Allison and Tony. I can't believe it. Like, like I'm standing there and as a fifth grade little boy, my dad says, what do you need to do, young man? I am so sorry. I cannot believe I did that. Tony, will you, Mr. Hutchinson, will, that was his name. Mr. Hutchinson, will you please forgive me for that? I am sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I acted that way. That was foolish. That was mean and that was wicked and I need your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Allison, I am so sorry that I did that. Will you please forgive me that, I, that I've done this? Will you please forgive me? And you know what we did as a group? We stood and we prayed and we said, Lord Jesus, please, in, the, in your holy and precious name, would you please forgive me? I, pray, I had to pray that. God, would you please forgive me that I had to get these people out of bed, that I had to get my own father out of bed, that I had to come down and I had to ask that I, like, God, please forgive me that I am so wicked. I was so mean to this young, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? That's godly discipline. I'm, I'm being taught by older men, this is what it looks like to be a godly man. Like, you, you wrong somebody, go make it right. You go apologize and you ask for forgiveness. Not from just God, you go for, ask for forgiveness from the, the people you offended and you offend God, ask them for forgiveness. This is what it looks I'll never forget that. You see, me being subjected to that kind of masculinity 
from not only my father, but another young person's father, molded and shaped me into the man that I am today. That was a consistent thing that happened in my life. If I did something that was wrong, I had to go apologize. I not only apologized to the person I wronged, but I also apologized to the Lord Jesus Christ for offending His law. Now we live in a culture that if you go and offend and you do something stupid, we don't make it right. We don't load our kids up and drive them in the middle of the night to the and knock on a door and apologize. We just say, well, little Johnny, little, little Susie, it's okay. World's not that bad. No, you're a wicked little depraved kid. You need to, be, you need to repent and you need to get it right. You need to get it right. And I'm telling you, like, I want you to look at the culture that we live in right now. Like, the world is on fire with psycho children because dads don't invest in this kind of stuff. We're busy looking at our phones, hunting in the woods, playing sports, and we're not interested in developing our kids into godly young men and women. We're interested in what we want to do. We want to play and do what we want to do. And that is not what God's mandate is for us. We are to teach older men. You are to be an example of what it looks like to be self-disciplined. And sadly, we, we, we live in a culture of boys that can shave. Well, I'm 25 years old. I don't care. All you are is a little tiny boy who just has been potty trained and knows how to shave. That's all you are. You're not a man. I don't care if you can reproduce and make babies. You're still a boy that can shave. Show me when you've got dependents that you take care of and that you, you, you counsel and you disciple and you grow. Then, we'll, I'll, then I'll call you a man. Then I'll call you a man. So not only are we to teach what it looks like to be self-controlled, but we are also to teach what it looks like to be sound in biblical faith and biblical love and biblical commitment. That's the idea of steadfastness, biblical commitment. Uh, Teaching to hold fast to proper biblical faith is not just something that pastors are to do because here's what we live in a culture we have got we are in a culture right now where we want to pawn it off on everybody else hey i got a guy got a guy that can fix my car i got a guy that can um fix this can do that and we do that in the world of religion as well oh that's the pastor's job to teach my kids no it's not it is not my job to teach your kids it's your job to teach your kids now, what is my job? I come alongside and I encourage and I, and I spur on. Yep, go. Do it, Dad. Teach. Go, Grandpa. Go. Make it happen, Uncle. If you are a Christian, you should long to want to develop your family develop your kids. If you're a Christian man, you should long to study and read and have a foundation in the scriptures. Men who have a high regard for a a scriptural base, men who have a high regard for the things of the Bible should not be the exception, but they should be the norm. And the reason a bulk of the young men in Cedarvale, Kansas do not care about anything about church or the Bible is because older men don't either. 
How do I know? Because older men are sound. There's the majority of older men in Cedarville, Kansas are still in bed. They don't care. And they're like, well, I don't know what's wrong with this generation. What's wrong with these kids these days? Moron, it's your fault. It's your fault that your kid is a hoodlum. It's your fault that your kid is a depraved little wicked thing. Because you didn't discipline. You didn't think it was important to get him in church. You thought, well, you know, it's somebody else's job. It's the youth pastor's job. And when, then when they get in jail or they get in trouble or something stupid happens, well, it's that pastor's fault. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't go after them like they should have. He didn't pursue them like they should have. Older men are to set aside and dedicate time to, like, to follow after what God's called them to do. And a reason a bulk of young men do not have a high regard for the things of God is because older men do not. There's a reason I love the things of Scripture and the, love, the things of God. Because my father put that into me. You'll say, Caleb, it's too late for me. No, it's not. It's not too late for you. You can step into where you need to step into and do, what the, do the right thing. That's what I'm trying to like get to our, our minds here. That you have a responsibility. And it's my job as your pastor to teach you these things and say, listen, if you're not, you need to repent and follow after what God's called you to do. Oh, listen, older men set aside time and dedicate time to go sit for hours and hours and hours to go watch a ball be thrown across the field. But you can't dedicate an hour and a half to come and spur your kids on here. Like, when they hit a ball, you're over there going, Yeah, Junior! You did it! Good job! But then if they memorize a Bible verse, you're going, What'd your mom say about that? Was your mom proud of you? No, you as a man should have been over there going, Yes, you memorized that Bible verse? Good job, buddy! Like, we're going to go out and celebrate that. You celebrate when they win and get the trophy. Why aren't you celebrating when they have a spiritual win? Oh, because you don't care. Because you don't care. They cheer and encourage and validate these types of activities, the sports activities, the hunting activities. But when it comes to being here in the building and being a part of the things of God and placing a high regard on the things of God, they are silent, absent, and do not care for the most part. What would it look like if men took their rightful place in this church and started getting involved in on, on every level, teaching Sunday school classes, being involved with our young men and young women? I know some of you men, if, there, if you got involved in a Sunday school class, there would be a bow and arrow or a shotgun involved, like teaching, saying, hey, this is, this arrow's in the hands of a, of, a, of, a, of a man. They take that verse and they'd be like, let's go out and we're going to shoot some arrows. Like, do that. Figure out a way to cultivate these young people's minds. It doesn't have to be sitting in a room going, okay, open your literature books. Don't do that. Get outside and do something exciting and teach them. Guess what? Your pastor would be like, Get them. Let's go. I'm in. Let's, I mean, I would encourage that and applaud that and get excited over that thing. I'd be 100% behind you. What would it look like if men got involved in planning out events and things at this church rather than saying, well, that's a woman's job? What would it look like if we as men said, you know what? It's high time that we as men step up here. And we start planning, we start cultivating, we start taking responsibility, we start living out where we're supposed to live out here. You know what the women would go? The women would be like, yes, 
Praise God. Thank you. I don't know any of the women here personally that would be like, really? They want to take over? Oh. There would be women that would be like, oh, thank you, Lord. The weight is finally off our shoulders. It is your responsibility, men, to lead this church. It is your responsibility to lead this church. What would it look like? This place would, like, seriously, if we planned and, and said, you know what, we're planning our service. You know what we probably have before Sunday start? We'd have a tailgate party in our front yard to get us prepped and ready for service. And guess what? Okay. That's fine by me. Let's go. What would it look like if godly men got neck deep and involved in the things of the church the way they are in everything else in the world? Your community would look different. Your homes would look different. Your church, your schools would look different. The streets would look different. Everything would look different if you as men said, you know what? Enough is enough. It's time to do what God's called me to do. Like I've, I'm re- I've really poured over this and thought about this week. And man, it is high time we as men step into the role that God has said, hey, this is your role. We are abandoning the role that God gave us and that is sin and we were going to be judged for that. Our families would look different. Everything would look different. The bulk of... Um, <laughs> you know what happened? A bulk of the hungover drunks that are in this town wouldn't be hungover drunks anymore. You know why? Because you get involved and you say, you know, it's time that we get these men in church get their lives straightened up and let's pursue Christ. To after, let's, let's make disciples. Let's go. And when I say I believe Christian men can change the world, by God, I mean it. I believe it. I believe Christian men can change the world, but man, we've got to get off our blessed assurance and actually do something. According to the Washington Coalition of Men's Ministry, when a mother comes to Christ, her family joins her at church 17% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, his family joins him in church 93% of the time. And we wonder why the world is in such chaos. We wonder why churches are dying. We wonder why the moral decay of our nation is so prevalent in the world today. It's because most men are home asleep this morning and they do not care. Thank God we've got some women that are trying. You're trying. Fellas, listen, we need you. We need you. Men, you are to be the leader of your homes. You're to be the leader of this church. You are to stand up and actually be, the, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, listen to this. Tend, nurture, guard, guide, and fold the flock of God that is yours. That is your responsibility. I'm reading out the Amplified Version so it helps us a little bit. Not by coercion or constraint, but willingly, not dishonorably motivated by advantages or profits. I know that this in context is directed at pastors. But there is a application that you as a husband, you as a father are to nurture and guide the fold that's been given to you. Whoever's living in your house, that's who you're responsible for. You got grandkids living in your house, you're responsible for those grandkids. You got nieces and nephews living in your house, you're responsible, man. You got kids living in your house, you're responsible for those kids. You are responsible for those kids. And it's such an honor. 
It is such an honor to lead your homes to the feet of Jesus. Like, listen to me. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Are there days, like, listen, y'all think, because um, I've heard some of y'all say, oh my goodness, your kids, they always get involved. They're always wanting to do stuff. Listen, it is not always peaches and sunshine. When I say, hey, guys, let's get in here and pray. They're not going in going, oh, Father, I've waited all night to come pray with you. <laughs> They're not doing that. Sometimes I'm like, hey, guys, let's get in here and pray. They're just like, oh. okay. Kids are kids. They don't, I, I get it. But that's why you're the responsible one. You're the one who is to lead this thing. We are called to do some difficult things. And yes, it's difficult to get your kids involved, consistently involved in a prayer time and a family worship. It is. But if you start when they're young, it's not near as difficult when they're older. Like the reason I I can just say, I can look at Gabe like this morning. I was like, Gabe looked at me. I was like, hey, you're leading singing. He didn't go, really, dad? I am not doing that. Hate you. I said, hey, Bobby, can you leave music this morning? He's like, yeah, I got you. You know why? Because when he was little, I started. And I was like, hey, get involved. We're going to be involved. This is what we're doing. We're involved here. The things that matter, the things that matter are here. You're going to be involved here. You're going to go to church camp. You're going to be involved here. Discipleship group, D-Now. You're going to be involved in all those things. You go, well, your kids, they didn't play. Yeah, my kids played sports. Sure. Every one of them played sports on some level, except for no one. We're working on that for this fall. Every one of my kids played ball on either track, baseball, basketball, softball, whatever. But you know what my rule was? We will not play ball on Wednesday or Sundays. Well, what if little junior doesn't get to play on the team? Eh. Percentages, your kid ain't playing ball professionally. But 100%, they will stand before Jesus. They will. What are you doing right now? What are you pushing out saying, this is important? Are you saying that Christ is important? No, you're not. You know why? Because you're absent. You're absent. Man, we need you in this place. You are called to shepherd and guard your homes. Biblically, we need a godly group of... And listen... And if I'm, you all keep me here long enough, we're, golden, we're going to go the direction of biblical elders here. That means I'm going to have to get some men who want to be involved. And we need godly elders to run this place because that biblically is what a biblical church is. To have godly elders who are willing and able to step in and lead and guide this place. It's time that we follow the Bible, not what we've been doing for generations. Oh, that we get excited about the honor of following Christ. Men, it's time. We need to hit the ground running. And over the next, listen, I'm going to tell you guys, over the next several months, we are going to have opportunities to join and gospel-centered outreaches to reach our community. And guess what? I've been told by some of you guys in here, like, listen, we should go knock on doors and invite people to come to church. You know what I've been told? Yeah, people don't like that here. Well, hogwash. I don't care. Do you really, if you believe if there are people in this town today that are going to the pits of hell, and what, guess what? We just don't want to bother them because they've had a hard day at work. They're going to have a hard day in the pits of hell for eternity because you were too scared to talk to them about the things of Jesus. He said, well, Caleb, what if you run people off? 
If I run people off, I'd rather have 10 people in here that are fired up for the things of God than have a building full of people that are just interested in playing games. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, you know who I respect? I don't answer to you at the end of the day. I answer to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm standing on his authority that this is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're, you teach sound doctrine. Men are to be men. To stand up and do what they're called to do. And if you're not doing that here, by golly, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I'm just, I'm tired of watching it. We've got women that are wringing themselves out for, the, for things for decades. And, like they're older and they're just, like they've told me, Ken, we're tired. Men, step up. Get up off your rear ends and do something. You care about everything, but you don't care about this. You're wrong. You're wrong. And I know this, this seems like a tough thing to say and a tough road to walk, but I can promise you, you this, that God, the God who saves you can bring you to where you need to be. Now, remember, I told you guys last week we'd finish Psalms 23. Let's go to Psalms 23. I told you that, so I made a promise, so we're going to go there. I want you to see this. We're going to start in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And they, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, God, the sovereign king of the universe, is by our sides. He has promised that he will walk with us in the darkest parts of our day. And listen, I know it is not an easy thing sometimes to walk in here and say, okay, we're going to be committed. We're going we're to strive. We're going to pursue. We're going to long for the things of Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to push these things out. We're going to press it on. I understand. There are days I wake up. Ask my wife. There are days my wife wakes up and says, man, I don't want to go to church. Amen? There are days I say, I don't want to go to church. And I'm the pastor. You know why? Because my human sinful nature can sometimes push out and say, you know what? You deserve to be in bed. You worked 40 hours this week. You worked 50 hours. You worked 60 hours this week. You should just, you know, have a day. No. You're called to walk even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And guess what? I don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because God is with me. You, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This idea of rod and staff is a, is a correctional discipline thing. When God disciplines and he pursues that with you, man, it's to, it's to discipline and to save you. Those things comfort me. And then, look at it. You prepare. Look at this. Not only does he, prepare, does he prepare a table for us, or does he do that, but he also prepares a table for us. A table for you to sit down together and to commune together, to fellowship together, 
to be together, have dinner together, to talk about the things that are meaningful together. He's prepared the table. You don't even have to do the cooking. He's done the, he's done, done the preparation. All you got to do is take a seat. All you got to do is take a seat at his table that he's already prepared for you. And he's done it. He's prepared it in the presence of your enemies. And as a result of this godliness, godliness from God will follow us. Godliness, goodness, mercy, they'll follow you all the days of your life if we walk in these steps. And what's the prize? The prize is that you get to dwell in his presence forever. You get to dwell in his house forever. And man, some of you guys are so short-sighted that you're throwing everything you got into this world. And you're not thinking that, man, there's something else coming. The kids you've been given, man, the one, you know what the one thing I've asked? As I've been a dad, I remember when my, my first one was born. I remember that day. I, I, I went out from the hospital because everything was, the, the, the chaos had, had, had gone away. And I got in my car and I went to go get something to, to, to eat. I was starving. And I just drove and I wept as I drove. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do as a dad? I don't know what I'm going to do. God, I just, you know what I want, God? I just want him to know you. That was my prayer as a 20 two-year-old man. I said, just want my kids to know you. I want my baby to know you. That's what I want, Jesus. I want them to know you. God, help me to be the light that shows them who you are. And man, let me just tell you, I haven't done it perfectly. I have not done this thing perfectly. I have screwed up. Anybody else in the room screwed up? (laughs) Okay, I'm in good company. I have done some foolish things. I have chased and pursued things that were foolish. I have done things that are wrong. I have sinned, wickedly sinned, even as a father. I have been deplorable in some areas. But guess what? I serve a God that has reconciled and redeemed me. And he's quick to forgive. He's quick to forgive you. So you say, man, Taylor, I've screwed up too much. No, you haven't. You're still breathing. You can still be the father, the grandfather, the uncle that you need to be. You can still do that, but you've got to just say, I'm done. I'll follow you. I'll follow you no matter what. Because God, you're going to anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows with this. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I get to dwell in the presence of the Lord for ever like this is the goal gentlemen this is the goal for us by the power of the holy spirit we can do this like i heard this once this is not the kind of message i would give on a mother's day (laughs) but men i I want those guys talk to me directly tell me what you think don't, don't, don't mess around. Don't blow sunshine. 
where it doesn't need to be. Tell me the truth. And guess what? According to the Bible, the truth will set you free. Because I love you all enough to tell you this, some of you need to get your act right. And you need to start pursuing Christ and you need to get your kids here and involved here. Not just, and don't just send them here. You need to be involved here. They need to see you involved here. That's one of the things that I have done with my kids as I have said, and I'm, listen, I'm not up here trying to toot my own horn and say, oh, I got it all figured out. I've just been going, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I've surrounded myself with other men that are doing that same kind of thing. Men that are saying, okay, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be involved in a gospel-centered mission somehow. We're going to be in a, we're going to go feed the homeless. We're going to preach the gospel to the homeless. We're going to um, go help an old, older lady clean her gutters. We're going to go rake a yard. We're going to go mow some grass. We're going to do something that shows off who Jesus is. And we're going to talk to those people about Jesus. Amen. And, and man, we're going to be involved here. If the doors are open, we're going to be here. If there's an activity, like there's been time, you know what I did? My, you know what my dad did to me? And at the time, it drove me nuts because I was a kid and I was like, I can't stand this. I can't believe we're doing this, Dad. Once a month at the Sizzler in Bartlesville, the older people had a get-together. Well, they invited the pastor and his family. I hated going to the Sizzler. I hated going to the Sizzler. I'd sit there and I'd watch and listen to the old people in the room tell stories. And I was just like, man, I'd rather be out running in a field playing. But you know what? My dad was smart enough to know you need to be around older men who love Jesus. You need to be around older women who love Jesus. You need to see that. You need to be a part of that. This older generation. And guess what? As a result of that, it grew. And I remember as an 18 year old going to B.D. Copeland's house. And B.D. Copeland at the time was an older, he was one of our deacons. And then we'd sit at his house till three o'clock in the morning talking about politics and Jesus. He's gone on to be with, with the Lord now. But man, I remember sitting in his house of my own volition, drove my own car to his house. His wife fed me. She could cook like a, oh, she was good. Fed me, loved me, took care of me, cultivated my relationship with them, pointed me towards who Jesus was, showed me what Christ looked like. You know why? Because my dad, when I was 13, said, hey, we're going to the Sizzler. I don't want to go to the Sizzler. But I learned that this is where like, it matters. It matters. Like what we do here matters. What we're pursuing here matters. What we're studying matters. And man, I don't understand it. Why we're not saying, okay, enough is enough. Like we're going to change this whole place. I believe that in my core that we as Christians in Cedarvale, Kansas can change this town for the glory of God. 
Do you believe it? But we, you know what? Instead of just, we got to get off, like I said, we've got to get off our blessed assurance and we've got to get up and do something about it. You're going to have multiple opportunities. We're going to provide you with multiple opportunities to do those kind of things in this community. Over the next two weeks, you're going to have two amazing opportunities to actually be gospel-centered human beings and bring people in to see and to cultivate and to pursue the things of Jesus. Let's see how many of us do it. If you say amen now, but don't do anything about it, you're a liar. I'm going to stay home and play my Xbox. I'm going to stay home and check on this. I'm going to do that. You know, that sounds a lot like something that happened in Luke chapter 14. And then we'll be done. There was a banquet that was about to take place. God was giving this example. There was a banquet that was about to take place in Luke chapter 14. And he told his servants, said, I'm giving a great banquet. Invite me. And at the time of the banquet, he sent out his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, man, I, I bought a field. I can't go. Please excuse me. Another one said, I, I bought yoke, a, a five yoke of oxen. Now I've got some cattle i got to take care of. I, I can't make it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I got married. Which I don't understand how. Just excuse me. I, I can't make it. I can't make it. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, said, Bill, you've got a little bit of an angry tongue. Well, the master of the house got angry too because I'm tired of the stupid excuses that we give why we don't want to do anything around here. Like, let's step up the game. The master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go quickly into the streets and the lanes and the, bring in, in the cities and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And the servant said, Sir, sir. I've done as you commanded, and they're all here, but there's still room. And the master said, go out into the highways and into the hedges and compel people. Compel. And he's like, listen, come on, come on, come on. You, you should come and be a part of this. Let's go. And, and listen, if you walk with me, hey, you want to go to church with me? It's the real, real blinds. You know, people, why would you be, why would you go to something that you're not excited about? Like, get in and go, listen, we've got this opportunity for you to be a part of something. Like, get in and we're going to have some fun. Like, it's going to be awesome. We need to be here. Are you want to go to church with me? No, you sound like a dry lump on a log. The bland, leaving the blame. I don't want to go do that. So the servant said, Sir, what you commanded I've done is go to highways and compel these people to come in, for I want my house to be full. For I tell you, none of those men who I invited originally, they aren't going to be a part of this. They ain't going to taste this banquet. Jesus is telling us, listen, it's time to get invested in the kingdom work. Kingdom work. Be involved in this. Go and do something. You're going to have opportunities in the next several months to invite people in and invest. And we're going to talk about the things of Jesus with the people that come. And I'm going to open opportunities for you to be able to share your own testimonies eventually. So, who, who can't do that? Well, yes, you can. You've just made an agreement with the enemy that you can't do that. Well, I can't pray, Caleb. Yes, you can. You've just made an agreement with the enemy that you can't pray. You can. 
not to. You made an agreement that you can't do certain things, and it's high time that we break these agreements. It's high time we break the yoke of the agreements that the enemy has shackled some of you in this room with. Amen? You know, one amen out of that one. Wow. Come on, people. Like, it's time. It's time. And we've got an opportunity. And if you believe people are going to hell, man, I would man, let's, let's get it. Let's do something about it. Brad will tell you, I have friends at my work. Brad and I work together. Brad will tell you, I've got people that I know that are going to hell, and I tell them that. And I say, I don't want you to. Oh, that you change your mind. Oh, that you follow Christ. Okay, well, that's what your job is. You're the pastor. You're supposed to. No, I'm a Christian. That's your job as a Christian, too. If you're a Christian and you're just bypassing the people that are going to hell, I don't want to offend them. The Bible says their blood will be poured over your hands. So I'm, I'm doing my best. I don't want blood poured over my hands. I want to just. If they, well, what if they reject you? They probably will. And if they do, guess what? You're free and clear. You're free and clear. Amen? Oh, and we get excited about this thing. Then we say, okay, listen, this is forever. The kingdom of God is about to be established, and it's the real thing. We've got to go. We've got to make Let's do something about it. Let's invest. Let's get involved. Let's be a part of what's happening here. Oh, Caleb, I'd love to, but that ball game's on. Ah, I can't. We got this tournament. I got to do this. I got to plow this field. I got to feed my cows. I got to buff, 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 buff. Your cows will eat fine if you, if you come to church. You get to them after, your church, after service. You get to them. It'll be all right. I used to have, I grew up with cows. Guess what? We fed them after church. You know what it's like to be a farmer. I grew up on a farm. We fed our cows after service. We didn't feed them during church. We got up on Sunday mornings, we loaded up in the car, and we were here. And guess what? Those cows, they all survived. And guess what? The ones that were meant to die, we killed them and ate them. Man, they were good. Man, they were good. But guess what? Don't make, your, don't make your cattle your excuse. Don't make your ball games your excuse. Why don't you say, church is my excuse for why I'm not doing anything else today. What, we're from 9 to noon, 9.30 to noon. Oh. Some of y'all sit that long for a movie. All right, all right. Guys, it's time for us to change our mindset. It's time for us to change our mindset. And if we believe this, then it's time that we actually live differently than the rest of the world. Let's stop being cultural Christians and let's start being Bible-believing Christians and say, thus saith the Lord. Amen? Let's stand up. Logan, would you dismiss us in prayer, buddy? Father, thank you for this message we have today. I pray that we all take it to heart and that we all do it and keep it in our lives this week and from now on.